Well, good morning. Man, it's weird coming to this point. Last summer, I was heartbroken to leave. And this summer, it's just weird. It's like I'm leaving home. And that's because of all of you. So I want to extend my sincerest thanks to each and every one of you. You received me last summer like I was one of your own. You encouraged me and helped me grow. And this summer, it's been just an outpouring of love. And you've been so kind. And it makes it harder to leave than it was last year. I've enjoyed this series. I want to remind you what me and Meyer's hope was coming into this summer, coming into this series, that there would be one sermon that stuck out to you, one sermon in which you encountered God, whether it was healing or purpose or mercy or whatever it was, we had a feeling that each and every one of you were desperate for something and were in a need of a reminder that it's all Jesus. And today is a lesson that every one of us can identify with, whether you realize it or not. Today, we're going to be talking about being desperate for a Savior. On Good Friday in 2016, my mom caught me watching pornography. It was late at night. I'd been dealing with it for a while, and I thought I was going to get away with it. And she walked in. And with a cracked voice said, Brandon, what are you watching? And I could hear her disappointment. I could hear her heartbreak. And she just left the room. And I sat there, and I cried. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried some more. And the next day came, and the feeling didn't leave. And my dad came and talked to me and encouraged me, and the feeling didn't leave. And over and over and over again, I was reminded how terrible I was, how much I had hurt my mother, how much I had hurt God. And I felt worthless. I felt ashamed. And I still wrestle with the question, what can I do to be rid of my shame? When I make a mistake, it comes to me and it haunts me and it just won't let go. And I have a feeling that you know what that's like. And if you aren't there today, you've certainly been there in the past. And you haven't been there in the past, you will certainly be there at some point in the future. Because shame is a reality that we all have to face at some point. And it comes to you when you make a mistake, and it latches onto your heart, and it won't let go. And you're stuck wrestling with this question, because I would do anything to be rid of it. So what do I have to do? What can I possibly do to get rid of of this feeling. What can I do to be rid of my sin, of the feeling that just won't let me go, that I am a mistake? The reality is, shame is not a new thing 
It's not something that's special, created just for our generation. No, it's been around since the beginning of human history. Shame is something that humans have had to wrestle with for all of time. And there are story after story after story in the Bible that talks about this topic. And today we're going to be looking at the story of a woman who has to violently wrestle with the concept of shame. And find a gospel message in the midst of it. Today we're going to be looking at the story of the adulterous woman. It's found in John verse, or chapter 7, verse 53, through John chapter 8, verse 11, if you want to open up there right now. First, I want to give you just a little bit of context to this story. John 7, in, during John 7, Jesus is teaching at a feast that many of the Jews gather for, called the Feast of Booths, where they go and they camp in tabernacles. And Jesus comes in the temple courts, and he begins to preach. And the Jewish leaders come and they witness his preaching and they get infuriated. And so they go and they have a meeting about who this Jesus guy is and what they ought to do about him. And this meeting goes on and they just argue and argue and argue about who Jesus is. And they don't really come to any conclusion. And so they set out with a plan. This is where we begin in John chapter 7, verse 53. After they had discussed, it says, Then they, all of these teachers of the law, all went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Right off of the bat, this story gives you basically all of the context you need. There is a big feast going on. Everyone has come to Jerusalem from all over the place. And they are all sitting in the temple courts listening to Jesus. And the Pharisees come in and they drag in this woman naked. Because she had been caught in the act. And they make her stand before everybody. She had been caught having sex with someone who was not her husband. And she was still nude. And she was still in this shameful state. And she was still kind of in this place that was seen as ritually impure and the pharisees drag her into the court and they make her stand before everyone showing her shame and she's desperate she's disgusting she's ritually impure she's everything that a jew should strive not to be and yet now she stands before not only all her family not only all her friends but all of israel that has come for this temple of booths and she's embarrassed And her sin is evident for everyone there. She is in the most shameful position that anyone could possibly be in. And she's desperate for a savior. And the Pharisees bring her and make her stand before everyone. And they say to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. The scripture that the Pharisees are referencing when they say, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, is Deuteronomy 22.22, which says this, If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Now it's interesting that the man is not present for any of this. In the verse it talks about the man, but in the situation, the man's nowhere to be found. They grabbed the woman. But the reality remains that she had broken the law. And so the Pharisees have come up with quite a trap. Because Jesus is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Jesus has been known as this man who is the friend of sinners. The man who eats with sinners and tax collectors and shows grace and chooses to forgive sins. And so is he going to do that? Or is he going to listen to the law? Because it is the law. And this woman has broken the law. So Jesus is stuck in a difficult position. Where he has to choose between being a savior and being a rabbi. Well, the story goes on. And they keep pushing him as he's sitting on the ground writing, being patient. And they keep asking and they keep asking. And it's like a prosecuting attorney. They come to him and say, what is your answer? What is your answer? What is your answer? And finally he stands up. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I want you to notice something very important in this story. As the Pharisees push and push and push, they are asking Jesus a question. Is she guilty or is she innocent? And Jesus, in common Jesus fashion, doesn't answer their question. He never makes a declaration about her innocence. Because the fact is, she is guilty. She's in the wrong. She was committing adultery. She did break the law. She was committing a sin. She deserves everything that's come her way. So Jesus doesn't say that she's innocent. Instead, he stands up. And he says, All of you are guilty. So any of you who is without guilt, be the one to throw the first stone. And they all drop their stones and walk away. And Jesus is left standing there with the woman. The only one who has the authority to condemn her. 
And now the question really pops up, what is Jesus going to do? And he straightens up and he says, has no one condemned you? Because the reality is, the woman deserved to be condemned. She had broken the law. It is blatant in Deuteronomy 22.22 that she deserved to be stoned. Yet Jesus stands up and says, where are your accusers? Where have they gone? Are any of them here? No one, sir. And the only one who has any power to condemn this woman is Christ. And he is left standing there with her. And he doesn't. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. He spares her, but the question still remains. The law has been broken. The law is unsatisfied. A life has to be paid for this. She had sinned, and she deserved death, and so Jesus just can't let her go without a price being paid? Jesus can't just tell her to go and leave her life of sin. No, a life is required. The law has been broken. Someone has to die. And I think you know where this is going. Because just a week or so later, the man who set her free, the man who saved her life, Jesus of Nazareth, carries a cross after being beaten and battered and bloodied his flesh torn from his skin absolutely abused spit upon beaten he walks up a mountain with a cross and he's pinned to it and a life has to be paid a life is owed and he's gonna pay it but not before more shame comes. In John 19, 23 and 24, it says this. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them, cast lots for my garments. So, this is what the soldiers did. This is a shameful moment. The woman was brought naked into the court because she was caught in the midst of her sin. Christ is stripped naked and nailed to a cross. And the shame that should have been on the woman was borne by Christ. Christ bore the shame that should have been on the woman. She experienced shame, yeah, but she didn't experience true shame. And I'm going to be honest, I lied to you earlier. I said that the woman was in the most shameful position a person could be in. Well, that's not true. See, 
in the ancient world, there was one place more shameful than naked in the temple court. And it's naked on the cross. The cross was reserved for rebels. For people who had tried to fight against the government. And Rome invented crucifixion to utterly obliterate any possible reputation that that person might have. They would strip you naked and nail you to a cross. And people would walk through the city gate and watch you die. Because you were nothing. Because you had no power. And what you deserved was a shameful death. That woman deserved a shameful death. But Christ died one. He didn't deserve it. He'd never committed adultery. He'd never even lied. And yet the hammer fell. And the nail broke through skin. And there was blood. And there was spit. And he was nude. And he was ashamed. At least that was the plan. And I imagine that woman probably saw him hanging on that cross. She was from Jerusalem. She would have gone in and out of the city. And I'm sure that she walked by and saw the man that saved her hanging there, naked, in a worse position that she had been in, about to die. And it leads me to my question, what can I do to be rid of my shame? I'm sure she was asking that. I'm sure she was stuck watching this man die, saying, what can I do to be rid of my shame? And the answer is very simple. Nothing. There is not a thing that you could do in this life that could have a chance of ridding you of your shame. You want to know why? Because you deserve your shame. When you sin against God, when you break the law, shame is the natural progression of what happens next. Why? Because you deserve it. There is not a thing you could do to get rid of your shame. There's not a thing you could do to deserve salvation. But the good news is that getting rid of your shame is not your job. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy set before him, he, being Christ, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ died that shameful death that you deserved. But it didn't end there. No, the story didn't end there. It didn't end with him dying. It didn't end with him being laid in the tomb. It didn't end with him being ashamed. The story ended with him rising from the dead. Rising from the shame of the cross. Rising from your sin. And ascending to the right hand of the throne of the Father. Where he sits now glorified. Because shame stood no chance. Christ scorned 
the shame of the cross. He obliterated it. And if he can scorn the shame of the cross, he can scorn your shame too. The cross is the most shameful thing in history that has ever existed, and Christ defeated it. Because he defeated death. And when we sin, and our shame comes to us, and it shackles us down, and it drags us down, and it tells us that we can't go on, it tells us we shouldn't go on, it tells us rightfully that we don't deserve to go on. Christ comes alongside us and says, you don't have to listen to that anymore. Because I bore that shame. I died that death that you deserved. And it couldn't hold me. Sin couldn't hold Christ down. Health, hell couldn't hold Christ down. Shame had no power over our Savior. See, you and I can't do anything. We're powerless. We're just like the woman. We're stuck in a desperate situation. And we've been dragged before Jesus by Satan. And he throws us on the ground and he says, Look at them and tell me what to do. And Jesus points out his guilt. Jesus points out all of our guilt. He says, this is just what humans do. And there's no one left to condemn you except Christ, and he spares you. Because the shame that should have been on you was laid on him. Yet it didn't have power over him. And he rose, and he scorned the cross, and he scorned shame, and he scorned your shame, and you don't have to live with it anymore. Not because of anything you'll do or anything you've done. Any good thing that you could ever possibly do will never amount to enough. But it doesn't have to. You aren't good, but you have been saved. And so I'm sure you're sitting here thinking, Brandon, okay, you've told me I can't do anything to be get rid of my shame, so what should I do? Should I do anything? Should I just give up? Or what, what can I do? I want to present you with two things directly out of the text that you can do. The first thing is to leave your life of sin. John 8.11 says this, Jesus asks her, has, where are your condemners? Has, has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I have a question for you. You think that woman never, never sinned again? Yeah, she didn't. She sinned. She went and messed up. She went and lived life, and she made mistakes, and she sinned again. But I think what Jesus is saying to her is look at where it got you. Look at where your sin got you. Standing, accused, your life owed 
in front of everybody. Is that where you want to be, lady? And she walks away, and I'm sure that she was a lot more cautious about sin going forward. She couldn't leave her life of sin. She couldn't never sin again. But what she could do is fight. What she could do was see the good life that was waiting for her. What she could do was abandon all of these things that were trying to drag her down and ruin her. She could see where her sin had gotten her and said, I don't want to go there again. I want a good life. I want a beautiful life. The life that Christ is offering. And the same thing is true for you today. You're not going to leave here today and never sin again. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. I'm not going to leave here today and never sin again. But Christ comes to you and he says, you don't have to be here. You don't have to be in this place where shame owns you. I never have to deal with the shame of being caught late at night in my sin by my mother. I don't have to do that. There's a way out. There is a chance for freedom, and that chance is Jesus. And if you are in a place today where you're desperate for something and you don't know what it is, but your shame has trapped you and your sin has trapped you, there is one who will save you. He already has. All you have to do is say yes. And leave this life of sin that will destroy you and get you nowhere. And embrace the beautiful life that's waiting for you on the other side. And then finally, I bet you can see this one coming. Boast in your Savior. I said it in the first sermon, and I've said it every sermon since, and I will say it again. This is what desperation looks like. Desperation looks like going out into the world and saying, I am not good enough, and I never could be, and I never will be strong enough, but there is one who is. You have to be desperate to do this. Do you want to know why? Because you have to be desperate to boast in your weakness. Our theme verse for the summer, here it is for the last time. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And it goes on. Okay, I guess it doesn't. Um, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I did not want to get up here today and tell you about me getting caught watching porn when I was 15. I did not want to get up here today and admit that that is something I have done. 
I don't want to be up here today admitting that that's something I still struggle with. But it's not about me. It's never been about me. It's never been about my reputation. It's never been about me being good enough or strong enough or any of that. Because I never could be. I and all of you, the only thing that we have going for us is that we've been saved. I'm not good. I will never be good. You will never be good. You could never be good. But there is one who is good, who chose to save you anyway. And you may be guilty standing before the crowd. And you may deserve death. But you won't get it. Because someone else did. Gideon was nothing without God. Moses was nothing without God. Hagar was nothing without God. Lazarus was just a dead man without God. And you and I are nothing without our Savior. But we have a Savior. And when you accept the bad news, the good news becomes so much better. So why aren't we telling everybody? Because you and I have the secret to happiness. You and I have the secret to being rid of shame. And if we really believe this is good news... If we really believe that we were the woman standing there doomed to die amidst our shame. What's stopping you from telling everybody? Would you please pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for this place and these people. I thank you that you love them and that I love them. I thank you for giving me a message for them. I ask that they would receive it with open hearts. God, we thank you for your son. The only hope that we have. Give us the courage to go out and talk about him. To not be afraid of our shame, to not be afraid of our sin, and to recognize that it has no power over us. Because your son has set us free. And it's, just his, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you've never heard about your Savior, if today is the first time that you've heard about this concept of someone coming to earth and saving you, man, we're going to have ministers at the front. We're going to have elders at the door. We would love nothing more than to tell you more about him. Because the fact is, this is the best news ever. And we would love to share it with you.